It's a real privilege to be with you. And uh, I have been here before. You may not recognize me because I'm a lot grayer than I was before. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening, but it just seems every year I just get grayer. I don't know how that happens. But uh, it's good to be with you. And for those of you who don't know me, again, my name is Darnell Starks, and I'm originally from Chicago and the USA, and have lived here now, God willing, on the 24th of this month, it'll make 16 years that we came over. Uh, I was a student at Moody Bible Institute and came here to study at ICC for three months, and 16 years later, we're still here. <laughs> but that's uh, all we had intended to be here for. But God had other plans, and I'm glad that God's plans are greater than our plans. You know, that whatever it is we think we might do with our lives, God has an uh, even bigger plan than that. And so we thank him for that. My wife, uh, Karen, who can't be here tonight, she's been struggling with cellulitis in one of her legs. So it's, it's getting better, but uh, she needs to keep it uh, up and get rest. So she didn't come with me tonight, but uh, she sends her greetings. And uh, we've been married 32 years, and we have five children and 11 grandchildren. Uh, so... God has been good to us in a hurry. <laughs> in fact, uh, our youngest granddaughter uh, and uh, the, the next to youngest of the 11 grandchildren just turned six. She lives in Pollock near us, and so it was really exciting to spend the day with her. She was so excited uh, for her birthday. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of Crookston Baptist Church, and actually we've just changed our name. We had a church meeting two weeks ago and the church uh, unanimously agreed to change our name from Crookston Baptist Church because we're no longer in Crookston. We're across the road in uh, Cardano now. So now we're going to be known as CBC Community Church. And then when anybody asks what does CBC stand for, we'll say, well, we used to be Crookston Baptist Church. So a way to still kind of honor the past but move into the, to the future. And because where we're located is at the intersection of communities called Cardano, Penalee, Hillington, and Crookston, Ralston, uh, we thought we'd go with community so everybody feels a part. <laughs> but uh, we're really thankful for God blessing us with the new premises and uh, looking forward to serving the community there. But I'm honored to be able to come and share God's word with you. And would you turn your Bibles with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 as I share what God has laid on my heart. And the thought that God placed on my heart for um, you tonight is the ideal of trusting in God's faithfulness. Trusting in God's faithfulness. So let's just read this passage together. Lamentations chapter 3. And verse number 19. Lamentations 3.19 says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. As I mentioned earlier, I uh, moved to Scotland nearly 16 years ago and was born and reared in Chicago. 
the last church I attended with my wife and our five children was a church by the name of Morgan Park Church of God there in our, the community we lived in on the south side of Chicago. And our dear pastor was the Reverend Dr. Carl Fluellen. And he had a tradition uh, in the church, and that is that every Sunday right before he would get up to preach, the choir and the congregation would sing, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that was his favorite song. And uh, so we sang it every Sunday. And it was also a song that he had to sing because it really re uh, expressed his testimony of his life. He's been retired a number of years now. Uh, he's in his late 80s. And, uh, but when we were there, he probably was in his early 70s. And um, he could look back over his life and see God's faithfulness through everything that had happened to him. And so that's why he wanted to, to celebrate and to sing that song and to remind us of that each and every Sunday morning. The song, uh, many of you I'm sure would be familiar with it, was written by a man by the name of Thomas Chisholm in 1923. And it was originally a poem written to express God's faithfulness over his lifetime. And uh, when I read more about Thomas Chisholm's life, I realized that he and I had a couple of things that, you know, loosely are in common, if I stretch it a bit. <laughs> uh, for one, he was born in 1866. And uh, I wasn't born in 1866, but I was born in 1966, so exactly 100 years after him. Uh, I noted that he passed away in 1960. And if God let me live to 2060, I won't complain about that. <laughs> um, but then I also attended Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And that was where Thomas sent his poem to a man named William Runnan, who set it to music. And the song became even more popular when it was exposed to a wider audience at Moody Bible Institute. And then later, Billy Graham used it in his international crusades. And so that's how today is one of the most well-known Christian hymns in existence. Um, again, I'm sure you know the lyrics, but let me just read it to you because it kind of sets the tone for what we're talking about tonight. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, New mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And then the final verse, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. The lyrics of the song and the sentiments they express come straight out of Scripture. And as we've just read here in Lamentations chapter 3, it mentions that they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The book of Lamentations is an interesting book. It is only five chapters long. And each chapter is a poem of lament. And poems of, of lament are a type of biblical genre that is found elsewhere in scripture, particularly in the Psalms. 
Poems of lament, they serve three purposes. First, they are a form of protest, and God allows this. Uh, one of the things that we realize when we read Lamentations, but also in some of the Psalms, is that God doesn't mind when we are honest with him and we express how we really feel. These forms of protest that say, God, this is not fair. Why is this happening to me? You know, is anything going to be done about it? Even the psalmist sometimes would ask the question, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let the, the wicked prevail? How long will my enemies triumph over me? So they are a form of protest. Another purpose for poems of lament is that they are a way to process emotion. Things like grief and anger, frustration. These are natural human emotions and there's nothing sinful about experiencing it. I remember speaking once to someone and describing um, the, I was speaking to a counselor and describing some of the emotions I was dealing with and I referred to them as negative emotions and he corrected me and said, they're not negative emotions. Anger, grief, fear, resentment, these are just human emotions. It's how we process it that makes it either right or wrong. And so Poems of Lament helps us to understand that, that as human beings, we will experience grief. Amen? We experience sorrow. We may sometimes be angry. The Bible doesn't say that there's anything wrong with being angry. It just says, be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the devil get a foothold in, your, in our hearts through wrath. So Poems of Lament, they serve that purpose, to help us to be able to process what it is that we're experiencing. And then third, they are also a forum to voice confusion uh, at times when we are not sure what's going on and not understanding why God hasn't answered our prayers or maybe didn't answer it in a way that we expected uh, him to. And I think what these things helps us to understand is that what God desires from us is honesty, transparency, authenticity. He doesn't want us to pretend like we're not bothered by what's going on in life, but we really are. He doesn't want us to pretend that we are happy and on top of the world if we really aren't. It doesn't make us a better Christian to go to God honestly and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm not understanding what's happening. I feel let down. I feel disappointed. I expected you to answer this prayer in this way or to move in this situation in a particular way, and you didn't. And will you help me to understand? And so these poems of lament are scriptural, and they help us to understand these three things. Here in the book of Lamentations, these are poems of lament that are, have been written. And in each of these poems, the writer of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, is writing about the destruction of Jerusalem, as uh, described in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. And this was a terrible time in Israel's history. Remember, God had promised the, uh, this land of Canaan to Abraham, and then Joshua had led them into the promised land. God had helped them defeat their enemies and take possession of the land. Then later, King David came along and he established Jerusalem as the capital city. And then King Solomon, his son, succeeded him and took the nation to even higher heights and greater wealth and fame as he successfully led the people and helped them to become a superpower in that region. However, because of the people's rebellion against God, he allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonians. And so that's the situation. That's the backdrop of why the prophet Jeremiah is writing these poems of lament, these poems of protest, these poems of confusion, these poems which were a way for he and the people to process the emotion that they were experiencing as a result of this very, very difficult situation. There's something quite interesting. 
just from a structural standpoint about the, the book of Lamentations, and that is that it is five chapters long. And each chapter, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, it, it contains laments of protest, frustration, and confusion. And this is the whole context of Jeremiah's words in verses 19 to 20. Look again there what it says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Here is a man who, although he's a devoted follower of Yahweh, totally committed to God, doing God's will, is still able to express that he's struggling, that he's downcast, that there's a sense of bitterness and gall within his spirit. And I'm sure all of us, if we were really honest with ourselves and with God and with one another, would have to admit that verses 19 and 20 have been our testimony at some point in our life. And who knows, maybe there's somebody here tonight that verses 19 and 20 are your testimony tonight. <coughs> That you came into this place tonight and you can say, I remember my affliction and my wandering. That the difficult, challenging uh, struggles in your life are very real, very much prominent in your memory. Not things that you've completely forgotten about, but they're as real as if it were happening today. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. One of the most difficult experiences of my life, I've, not one of the, excuse me, the most difficult experience I ever had in life was the sudden death of my father who passed away at only 48 years old and it would have been maybe a bit easier to accept if he had been unwell if we had been anticipating it and knew that he was going downhill but he wasn't he got up that morning went to work as normal came home had something to eat changed went to church taught the Tuesday night Bible class went home and passed away had a stroke in the night, and the next day he was gone. It came out of nowhere. It caught us completely off guard. And it was really quite a shock to us because just a couple years earlier, our mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer and was currently undergoing treatment for it. And so we had all been focused on her health and wondering if she was going to be okay and never even thought about Dad not being around. And yet he, he was snatched away from us in a moment. And in the aftermath of that, I can so relate to what Jeremiah was saying because I can relate to the sense of protest. It just did not seem fair or right that my dad, who was a godly man, an elder in our church, preaching the word of God. In fact, the last night of his life, that's what he was doing in the church, preaching to the people of God. A wonderful testimony, great husband and father and grandfather. Why would he be taken at 48 years old? At that time, I had a, a grandfather who passed away when he was 75, years after my dad did, and he was an alcoholic, never was a Christian. And although I love him as my grandfather, there's a lot of bad things about him in his life. And yet somehow he managed to live so much longer than, than my dad did. And then there are other people I could have said the same thing about. Um, hard to understand. Um, I can under relate to what Jeremiah is saying here in verses 19 and 20 because being able to express that to God was my way of, of processing emotion, the raw emotion that I was feeling. And then I can really understand the idea of confusion, not being able to give an answer to it, not understanding why God would allow that. And I'm sure each of you have stories like that in your own life. So Jeremiah expresses a sentiment that we can all relate to when you're going through or have gone through a difficult time in our lives. However, and remember this book is five chapters in the middle of this book, in chapter 3, there are these incredible words of hope. 
So it's not just all bad, you know, it's not just all grieving and saying um, things of protest. But in the middle of this book, there are these incredible words of hope. Now, I don't know if Jeremiah did this intentionally, although I think he may have, to place these words of hope kind of in the middle of chapter 3, which is the middle of these five chapters. Because I see something very significant in that. Because to me, it kind of represents how it is to live as a Christian. That although we may have times of lament, times of struggle, times of difficulty, pain, and sorrow, if we have faith, trust in God's faithfulness, at the very core of our being, we will still have hope. That life may be full of all kinds of negative things all around us, you know, before us and behind us, but yet at the center of our existence is this hope in God's faithfulness. And that's what you see here. Five chapters, chapters one and two, the beginning of chapter three, the end of chapter three, chapter four and chapter five, all about lamenting, all about crying out to God, why is this happening? This is not fair. But right in the middle of this book are these words of hope. And it's my hope that each and every one of us as believers has that as the anchor in our life, that no matter what is going on in your life, at your core, at the center, you still have these words of hope. It's as if Jeremiah wants us to see that even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of frustration and disappointment, we can still have hope if we remember God's faithfulness. It doesn't mean that we will be exempt for difficulties or that everything is going to always work out the way that we want. As Christians, there will be time we will desperately pray for something. We will fast. We will call all of God's people together and cry out to the Lord that God would move in a particular way, and it won't happen. It won't. And we'll have to just say, God, I still trust you. I still believe in you. Because at the core of our existence is this understanding that God is faithful. Look at verse number 21 through 26. Verse 21 says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So after acknowledging that there are problems, there are difficulties, I remember them, I'm not pretending they don't exist. He said, yet this I call to mind, and I did still have hope. He said, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, at times when we do face challenges and difficulties and we are tempted to, to kind of teeter over into despair and to give up hope, we have to be able to call something to mind, to remember something. And what he was able to remember was not his family and his friends or his former life or any of that, his own abilities. He was able to remember that God is still faithful. Amen? That's what it is for us, that in those moments of despair, in those moments of trial, in those moments of tests, in those moments of disappointment, we are able to acknowledge it, to express it, to say it, to cry out to God. And sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is cry. <laughs> You know, that was the experience of David. Remember in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when David came back and his whole village had been uh, kidnapped and taken away. And the scripture says that the first thing David did when he realized what had happened was he wept until he had no more strength to weep. And this wasn't some kind of weak man, you know, uh, or someone uh, who was maybe very emotional. This was a warrior, a fighter, a champion. 
and yet he still took the time to process his emotion and grieve. But then after that, the scripture says, yet David encouraged himself in the Lord, the same as Jeremiah did, and that's what we have to do. Understand our problems and difficulties, deal with it, but then call this to mind and still have hope. And what he was able to remember is that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Instead of wallowing in despair, Jeremiah does something else. His thoughts turn to God, and he is filled with hope. That's what can happen for us, too. In the midst of our trials and tribulations, if we remember God's faithfulness, we'll still have hope. But there are three specific things that I want to share with you about God, about what he remembers about God that brings Jeremiah hope in his times of trouble. And these are the three things that we must focus on in our times of trouble as well. And the first one is this. The first thing you must remember is God's great love for you. Verse 22, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We've got to remember that God loves us. In 1 John, it talks about that we know and rely upon God's love for us. We can never doubt that. We can never forget that. We can never allow anything to cause us to waver in that understanding that God loves us. His love is unconditional. It's not based on how good we are. So it's not like God loves us today because we have obeyed and done what's right and you know, pleased him in every way, so he loves us, and then if we mess up, then God doesn't love us anymore. He's not like that. That's how human beings love. You know, human beings love, if, if you treat me good, I'll treat you good. If you do what I expect, then I'll love you. But if you disappoint me, then I'm not going to love you the same. God is not like man. His love is unconditional. His love, even for the sinner man, is unconditional. What are you talking about, Pastor Starks? <laughs> Well, just this, although God hates the sin in people's life, he loves them no matter what they do. His love for them never changes. You say, well, then why does God send people to hell? Well, God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves to hell because they refuse to accept his only way of salvation. You know, it's kind of like if somebody is uh, drowning out in a lake and a boat comes by and offers to pull them out of the lake and they refuse help. You can't blame the person who came along and offered help if they drowned. They refused help. It's God's desire that no one perish, but all come to repentance. God has done everything he can. He sent the best of heaven. He's given everything he can to make sure that no one is eternally separated from him because he loves everyone. Romans talks about how God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The key point there is, while we were yet sinners, not after we cleaned ourselves up, not after we proved to him we were worthy of his love. When we were living in sin, disobedient for God, uh, to God, far away from him, no thought of him in our mind, just doing whatever we big and bad enough to do, God still loved us. And if he loved us then, he loves us now. God's love is unconditional. And this is an important point for Christians to remember because Satan is an accuser of the saints. And there are times when we know that we have failed God or we may be struggling with something or we may feel like we're unworthy of his love. And what Satan wants to do is put that little seed in our mind that says, yep, God doesn't love you. 
because you know you don't reach his standard. You know you thought this or did this. God's love for us is unconditional. Not only that, God's love for us is eternal. It will never end. God's love for us will never end. So we've got to know and rely upon that. We've got to remember that his, his great love for us is because of his great love for us that we are not consumed. We have to remember that God has already proven his love for us, not just in the natural material things that we do, but the fact that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and our relationship with God restored. I'm sure you've heard people say this, and I believe it's true, that God would have sent Jesus to die on the cross if you were the only person who needed to be saved, just you. What greater love can anybody show than to lay down their life for a friend? And that's exactly what God did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So remember that God loves you. When other people may not love you or express love to you, when you feel forgotten and left behind, when you feel neglected, when people fall out of love for you and people you've trusted and believed in certainly turn on you, you've got to know that God loves you. Amen? Because when you know what you know what you know, it makes all the difference in the world that God loves us. I actually believe that there isn't a single person who's not walking in fellowship with Christ today who fully understands that God loves them. Because if they understood that God loves them, they would be living in fellowship with them. But everyone who isn't walking with him is because they don't fully understand how much God loves them. If they could be convinced of that, of God's love for them, his love would compel them to live a relationship with them. How could you, how could you know? I'm not talking about just intellectualizing it. How can you absolutely know that God loves me and then not want to do anything other than live in relationship with him for all of your life? That's why it's so important that we remember God's great love for us. The second thing we have to remember is God's unfailing compassion. Verse 22, it says, the, at the end of verse four, uh, 22 says, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Now, this word compassion is an interesting one because often it gets confused with sympathy. But compassion and sympathy are not the same thing. Sympathy is wishing that somebody's situation was different or feeling bad about whatever it is they're going through. But compassion is different. Compassion is caring enough to act caring enough to get involved. And that's what God had for us. He didn't just feel sorry for us. He didn't just have sympathy for us. Oh, I wish your situation was different. I wish you weren't lost. And I wish you weren't your own way to hell. But he had compassion. He was moved to action. And whenever I think of compassion or hear that word, I'm always reminded of a story. I'm sure you've probably heard it in one form or another about the young girl walking alongside a beach upon which thousands of starfish had washed ashore after a particularly bad storm. And there were other people on the beach, and they watched with bewilderment as this young girl was going along picking up these starfish one at a time and throwing them back into the water. And finally, an older gentleman approached this girl and said, young girl, what are you doing? Do you see how many starfish there are? You can't possibly make any difference. And at first, she was a bit dejected by the older man's words. But then she thought for a moment, reached down, picked up another starfish, threw it as far as she could into the water, and looked up defiantly at him and said, well, I just made a difference to that one. 
And then she walked away and continued picking up starfish one at a time and throwing them back into the water. Well, the old man stood there for a moment thinking about what the young girl had done and said. And then he, too, started picking up starfish and throwing them back into the water. Other people on the beach took note of what the old man and young girl was doing. And one by one, they started getting involved, picking up starfish, throwing it back into the water until everyone was doing it. And eventually, every starfish was saved. But you know what that young girl demonstrated? Compassion. Caring enough to get involved. Caring enough to make a difference. And that's what God did for us. He saw the situation that we was in, and he was moved to compassion. He was moved to get involved. He was moved to act. And he didn't just send somebody else. You know, he sent his son to come and down across for us because he cared for us. He couldn't get any more involved than to leave the hall of the privileges and prestige and benefits of heaven behind and to take on the form of a human being, to become like us, to walk in our shoes and live our life and understand and to see and experience what it means to be human so that he could then one day go to a cross and die for our sins. No love have we ever experienced that even comes close to what God has done for us. His compassions never fail. Remember that God's acts of compassion are new every morning, which means they are unending and they are recent. Can you remember or think about a way in which God has shown compassion on you just recently? Not from 20 years ago or 10 years ago when you first became a Christian or something, but we need to be able to recognize and give God thanks for his compassions that are new every morning. What is it that you can give God thanks for today? That's an act, that's a sign, a symbol of his compassion. One of the things I do besides uh, pastor of churches, I also coach a National League basketball team in Glasgow, under 18 boys. And one of the things I do with the boys before every training, every practice, is I have them gather in a circle, and I ask each boy to tell me one thing you're grateful for today. And we go around and each say something that they're grateful for. And I told them last week, because it's the beginning of a new season, so I have a lot of new boys who've never been with me. I say, I do this all the time because I don't just do this to teach you guys basketball. I do this because I'm trying to be a good example to you, a good witness to how to live your life. And I also want you to understand that no matter what it is that you're going through in life, there's something for which you can give God thanks. So what are you grateful for today? And that they all say the same thing. They're grateful for their mom or their family or school or something. But at least they're learning how to think about every, every time we meet, um, what am I grateful for today? I think I could probably do that in the church as well <laughs> every Sunday morning. Everybody say one thing you're grateful for because God's compassions are new every morning. And then here's the third thing that we must remember, and that is God's great faithfulness towards you. In verse 23, it says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's a definition of faithfulness that I hope will be helpful. It says the characteristic of being steadfastly loyal to a person or to promises. Theologically, is it a basic description of God who is perfectly faithful to all that God promises in contrast to sinful humans who are unfaithful in their relationships and actions. God is steadfastly loyal to us and to his promises. Whatever God promised, you can count on it. He never goes back on his word. You know, one of the great ironies about God is that 
uh, although he is the God who never changes, which means that he never goes back on his word, you know, he never goes against his character. We can always depend on him and trust in him. But this God who is never changing is always doing something new because his uh, mercies and his compassions are new every morning. So put those two together. He's unchanging in his character, in his nature, his promises. <coughs> Whatever he says, he will stand to. We can, we can, he stand by. We can count and depend on him. Never will he go against his word. But yet, in, on the other hand, he's always doing something new. His compassions are new every day. And so we can trust on both. That he can depend on him. You know, he's trustworthy. But I also, knew that God, I also know that God is not just trustworthy in the past. He will be trustworthy tomorrow and the next day and next year and 10 years from now. Because his compassions are new every day. We need to re re rely on God's faithfulness the text I referred to earlier in 1 John chapter 4, 16 speaks of us knowing and relying on the love God had for us. And we can rely on God's love because we know him to be faithful. He, the scripture talks about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever God promises, he can do. Someone has said that there are over like a thousand promises in the Bible. And uh, we don't need to know all of them. We just need to know some of them. What are the ones that you rely on each and every day? I know in my own life, I'm always reminded of his promises that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it doesn't matter what I'm going through. And actually the context of that in Philippians 4, 13 is not that I can accomplish all things. Um, you know, people sometimes quote that when they have a big test the next day. I can do all things, so I'm going to get that A. Or when they're trying out for the sports team, I can do all things so I can make this team. Or you know, I'm starting a business, I can do all things through Christ, so I'm going to be successful. And that's actually not the context of it. What Paul was talking about is the context of suffering, what we're talking about tonight, trials, difficulties. So maybe a better translation is, I can endure all things through him who gives me strength. That no matter what it is you're facing right now, if it's a challenge in your finances, in your health, in your relationships, in your family, with your children, in your church, in your walk with God, whatever the challenge is, God promises you the strength to endure it. The strength, not just to survive it, but to thrive in the midst of it. I love the other promise in scripture that talks about no weapon formed against me will prosper. No matter what it is that Satan throws at us and tries to come against us with, he will not succeed because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Great is God's faithfulness. When the changes and uncertainty of life get you down, remember God's great love for you. I can't stress this enough. Each and every one of us have to build our lives on God's love for us. Never doubt it, never have any concern that he would do anything other then love us because his love is unconditional and everlasting. When the challenges and uncertainty of life get you down, make a list of all the things you can be thankful for. What is it about us human beings that there can be nine things that are going really well in life and we want to focus on the one thing that isn't? <laughs> you know, we need to remember all the things that God has done for us. Often when I start this service on a Sunday morning, I'll say, God is good, and I've taught them now to say all the time, and then I'll say all the time, and they'll say, God is good, and that is his nature. Wow. 
because God is good and he's good all the time. It doesn't matter what we're dealing with in life. We still have so much to be grateful for. Amen. I mean, just think about how he's given us life and strength and health. I like how my former pastor would say he's given us a reasonable portion of our health and strength. <laughs> we may not have all of our health and strength. We may have some health concerns, but I can say without any fear of contradiction that God has been good to each and every one of us in this room because you're in this room. <laughs> We're not in a hospital bed. We're not at home, not able to get out of bed. Everybody was able to get up and to walk into this place and we have our right minds and, and we can communicate with each other and all of that. And that is God's faithfulness to us, his goodness to us. So let's remember those things. When the changes and uncertainty of life get you down, remember that God's faithfulness and his compassions never run out. They're new every morning. You know, when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to greet God's faithfulness and his compassions. Just the fact that he would wake you up tomorrow means that sometimes we think the alarm clock woke us up or our phone or whatever it is, or the wife nudging us in the ribs or hollering us at us, whatever gets you up in the morning. But none of those things would wake you up if God didn't touch you. He wakes us up. That's his compassions. When the changes and uncertainty of life get you down, put your hope in God. Trust in him. And that's the title for tonight's message, trusting in God's faithfulness. And then lastly, and then I'm done, Verses 25 and 26, it says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And when the changes and uncertainty of life get you down, learn to wait on him and trust his timing. Did you know that God doesn't always come when we call him? Anybody had that experience? He doesn't. I wish I could tell you he did, that every time he calls, you call him, He'll come right then. I don't believe he does, but I do believe this. Although he won't always come exactly when you call him, he's always right on time. Sometimes you have to wait on him and his timing. And I have found that God's timing is best. There's been times when I've said, Lord, will you move in this situation right now? Will you do this? Or can we have that uh, or do it this way? And God didn't do any of those things. But yet what he did turned out to be way better than what I thought. Our church is experiencing this now. I mentioned earlier how God has blessed us with this new building. And prior to getting the building, we were in the process of going through something in Glasgow called uh, uh, asset transfer, where if there's a building or a piece of property owned by the Glasgow City Council, you can request for them to transfer that property to you free of charge. You don't have to pay for it if you can prove that you will use it for the betterment or the benefit of the community. It's a long, complicated process. And we were in the process of doing that. We took it, put together a business plan, a, um, a community survey, and all kinds of other bits and pieces to, to win this property. And the property we were going after was um, a site where a former school had been, the Halford School. And that school burnt down last year. And they had to tear the building down. So it was just a vacant lot. It was right down from the secondary school that we've been worshiping in for nine and a half years. And when that building burned down and that site was empty, everybody just was convinced that that was for us. <laughs> that's, that's what God is going to give us. And we'll be able to build this beautiful new sanctuary and church on that piece of land. So we're working away at doing that and trying to put all of the stuff together. And like I said, it's a very complicated process. We had to get people to come in and help us do it. And then one day somebody said, you know, there's a vacant building right up the street, about a 10-minute walk from the school. 
and none of us had even noticed it or paid it any attention. We went by, saw it, fell in love with it. Two-story building, it used to be owned by the Glasgow Housing Association. Inquired about it, it's for sale, put in an offer, they accepted it, and within two months, uh, we owned the building. Two months later, we moved into it. And now all of us are saying, you know what, this building is way better than what we were thinking we were going to get. Because that property would have required us to build on it, and it would have probably taught, taken hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not a million pounds. We are in no position to do that. It would have been a building we could have only moved into probably three years from now as we you know, slowly worked on it. And we found out about this property in April, moved into it in August, and it's perfect for us because God's timing is best. And so we just trust him. He will always know what's best for us. Amen? Great is his faithfulness. Let's all just try to learn to trust in God's faithfulness. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as I close in prayer? Dear God, I'm so thankful to you for your word. And thank you for these few verses tucked into this uh, small book of the Bible, Lamentations. And it's so easy to overlook them, dear God. But thank you for the powerful message that they speak to us. That even in the midst of all of our lament, our complaints, uh, all of the emotions that we may feel dealing with some of the difficult challenges in life. Thank you at the very core of our being, though, can this be this insurance about your faithfulness and how great your love for us is, dear God. So I just thank you for your word. And I pray that it will be a blessing to those who hear it. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us to um, trust in, rely upon, and know your love for us. And I pray that you help us to trust in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.